0: Welcome to the premiere premiere audio episode of the Timmy Johnny Spike Podcast. My name is Tosis, and I'll be your host. A little bit about me, I am a Magic player since uh, around the time Ice Age came out. I've lived in Germany that whole time, and uh, though I've lapsed from time to time, I've still been a, a fan of the game. In that whole time. And uh, also, more recently, but not that recently, I've been a fan of podcasts, and I have a podcast if you want to go back and listen to it, non-magic related, called Dare Geek. Uh, It's in the same feed, so it's easy to find. Um, if you are listening to me on MTGcast, you can also check me out at daregeek.com. Um That's where I have my old podcast and a few other failed projects, as well as the video podcast that goes along with this, where I review things like iPod apps and iPhone apps and, and uh, iPad apps related to Magic: Gathering. I've got one episode up so far. There's more to come. Stay tuned. Um But this podcast is the audio podcast where I'm going to talk about topics that are of interest to all Magic players, whether they be Timmy's, Johnnies, or Spike's, hence the name of the podcast. So, without much further ado, let me get right into it. All right, for the first segment, Timmy! Um, I promised never to do that again. Uh, so, what is a Timmy, you may ask. Um, if you... Uh, aren't familiar with the terms of Magic Psychographics, they are a, they're a collective uh, group of, uh, of names uh, first brought to light by Mark Rosewater in his article that he wrote for the main page, um, where he sort of breaks down the people who play Magic into three main groups, uh, people who play them for different reasons. Uh, and the first group that usually gets named is Timmy. Uh, Timmy is the gamer who plays because he likes to have fun. He doesn't necessarily want to win, but he wants to just do crazy things and and play huge creatures that, you know, just make him feel empowered and and like to sort of spend social time with their friends. That's really what Timmy's all about. It's more about making the game a fun experience, uh, not just for him but for everybody involved, than it is about winning. And uh, I myself, I consider myself quite a bit of a Timmy. I, I love uh, just hanging out with friends and playing some magic and and playing my crazy deck where I play, you know, huge creatures like uh, Back Goliath that I get out in a warp world with uh, like the Butcher and put a bunch of plus one, plus one counters on them, and uh, then usually not win because my opponents usually swing in and kill me before I get a chance to attack, but I have just as much fun doing that as I uh, would if I had one. And so I, I'm very much a Timmy. Now, a lot of time, newer players get sort of identified with being Timmy's, um, but that's not necessarily true. You can be a new player and, and not be sort of a Timmy-type player, uh, and you can be a hard-nosed veteran like... Well, I wouldn't say hard-nosed veteran, but I've been playing for a long time <laughs> and uh, still have sort of Timmy characteristics, and, and that's just fine. So uh it's also a stereotype that Timmy's aren't good players. And let me tell you... I'm not a good player, but just because <laughs> that I fit the stereotype doesn't mean it's necessarily true. In this segment of the podcast, I'm going to be talking about things that are of interest to Timmys. I just got a message there uh, that are of interest to Timmys, and including uh, sort of plays that are are interesting, or fun, or, or exciting that happened uh, to me and to others recently. Uh, interesting sort of deck ideas that that uh, that will appeal to Timmy as well as talking about news, um, because what's more exciting than news? (laughs) And also I had to fit it in here somewhere. Now, I'm not going to be primarily a news podcast because I'm not going to be that regular, and let's face it, by the time you hear this, you've probably heard about it um, all over the place. But I am going to cover some stuff that I think is of special interest to um, my audience, which um, is you, since you're listening to this. There you go. Thank you for listening. Okay, so the first bit of news I want to cover, which is really the only bit of news I want to cover, and it's a pretty exciting bit of news, is that uh, Wizards has finally announced the name and expansion symbol and a bit of teaser art for the next large set, coming out in fall of 2011, which was called Shake, is now called Innistrad. And, uh... Let me tell you right now, this set has got me really excited, so all we know right now is the name Innistrad, which if you <laughs> just say it, already conjures up sort of images of, uh, sort of Strad, the vampire, sort of, uh, Ravenloft-style campaign setting from, from Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, that sort of feel, but, but in a more Magic the Gathering type light. And, uh, that's, that already sounds really cool. There hasn't really been a gothic horror theme to Magic since uh, oh, way back in Homelands. And uh, even then, it was overshadowed by the pure suck that was Homelands. But, you know, still, Baron Sangir is very iconic to many people, and uh, I think that we're going to see... Hey, we might even see him return in this set. Who knows? Uh, the expansion symbol looks kind of like a spiky jester's cap. Uh, I'm not sure if that's going to be some kind of reference to the car jester's cap from Ice Age. Um, I mean, it's possible. Who knows? I guess I'll have to wait and find out. Uh, Let's see. It's going to be 264 cards released on September 30th, 2011, so still a ways off. Um, But this is the part that's got me really excited. So scrolling down a little bit, we get to the design team, and I'm going to run through these names one by one. Uh, We're going to lead off with Mark Rosewater who's probably the most visible single person in Magic the Gathering. Uh, if you go to the Magic the Gathering webpage at uh, DailyMTG.com, chances are the first page you'll see is has been written by him, uh, the first article you see that is. And uh, he's very vocal, very outspoken um, about his opinions, and he's also in charge of Magic R&D, so he's pretty much the man. And he does a real good job at designing sets. You know, some people may think he's maybe a bit too full of himself, but... Uh, but he generally does a good job. But that is not really what has me most excited. What has me most excited is the next name on the list, which is Richard Garfield. Now, if you're new to Magic or you don't know the history, Richard Garfield is the man who invented the game. He, sitting in his garage with a couple of friends, uh, came up with the idea of a trading card game, uh, put together Alpha, you know, sort of uh, self-published it, created Wizards of the Coast. And uh, so we have him to thank for uh, everything that we enjoy about the game nowadays. And... uh the last set that he helped design, he doesn't work for Midwizards full time anymore, he, he makes his own things, but the last set he was working on was Ravnica. And if you ask anybody who's been playing for the most recent time, chances are they'll tell you that their favorite set in recent memory was the Ravnica block. Uh, just because it was so well designed, it brought so many new concepts, and just worked so well um, together. And uh, I, Wizard Garfield was probably in no small part to thank for that. So seeing him on a on a new set has really got me excited. The next other names on here we've got Jenna Helland who's from Creative. She worked on uh, Morning Tide and Even Tide and uh, Stars of Alara uh, in the Creative side. So she's going to be on helping here design, um, which is a thing that uh, Mark Rosewater has has said that he likes to have a person from Creative on the design team because that sort of makes the whole uh, the theme and the and the, um, the mechanics mesh together better. And going down, we have Bram Hopkins, who was one of the winners of the Great Designer Search, the first one. And uh, Tom Lapile, who writes for MagicGathering.com. He writes the uh, latest developments uh, article and uh, the column. And he also writes for Star City Games. He's a former Pro Tour player. Um, All around good guy, very vocal. You can read him on Twitter. Next on the list is Eric Lauer. He's... uh, Another uh, former pro tour player. He is has been noted for his uh, de- deck design, and he was on the de- de- design team for Morning Tide and on the development of M11, which were both uh, great sets. And uh, then further down the list, we have Mark Gottlieb, who used to be the rules manager. Now he's uh, back in R&D, and he used to write a column for. Uh, Daily MTG, called uh, Serious Fun, and he, he was always a fun read. It, it's well worth checking out the uh, archives if you haven't already. Um, Mark Gottlieb's just a crazy, mad genius. And uh, going down, we have uh, Pro Tour uh, Hall of Famer David Humphreys, uh, Tom Lapile again, he's uh, straddling design and development, uh, Adam Lee and Ken Nagel uh, are both relatively new names. Ken Nagel uh, was another great designer search winner. Uh, if you haven't seen him well, I guess I shouldn't say uh, not that no name. Scananagle is actually very, <laughs> very vocal. You can meet him on Twitter as well. Um, all around, so it looks like it's going to be a great set. There's a piece of uh, teaser art down here which shows uh, a Liliana Vest, uh, face tattoo less, which is why I didn't even realize it was her until somebody pointed it out to me. Um, sitting in a throne with a what looks like a smoking vampire behind her. And uh she looks hot. <clears throat> but anyway. <laughs> very uh very gothic looking. She's clearly in control. So uh yeah, I gotta say this set has got me pumped. I'm thinking I'm more excited for this. Definitely more excited than I was for Scars of Meriden. Uh even though I like Mirrodin block, um I just I like Ravnica so much more and this looks like it's gonna be more of that goodness. So I can't wait to see what what they have in store for store for us. I do think it's kind of interesting that we've got the name and, and everything for the next large set before we even know what the small set is going to be named before it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I guess we won't find that out for a little while yet. So there you go. That's Innistrad, and that will be the end of my Timmy segment. Next up, Johnny. <laughs> Who's Johnny, she said. No, I'm not. not doing that. <laughs> I promised myself I wouldn't do cheesy things like that. Uh, Okay, so Johnny players are the kind of players who like to use the game of magic to express themselves. Um, They're very often known for combos, but they aren't necessarily always combo-focused. They're the ones who like to find an aspect of the game that maybe nobody's looked at before, or maybe people have passed off as being underpowered or, or just a bad bad aspect of design, or a bad card. And they're the ones who try to break it. They're the ones who try to build a deck around it and win by smashing your face in with a one with nothing. Don't ask me how that works, but that's what Johnny's are there to figure out. And I am a total Johnny. Like, my favorite deck, as I mentioned before, right now, and my favorite card, which I don't think i mentioned so far, is uh, probably Warp World. And, uh, that's just a Timmy, Johnny, goodness deck right there. Uh, I get, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I can, uh, cast it, and what normally people would look at and be like, why wouldn't anybody play this card? You know, If you don't know what Warp World does, it, uh, what you do is you shuffle all your permanents out in front of you into your library, and then you take that many cards off the top, and everybody does this, not just you, and uh, whatever cards can go onto the battlefield, you put onto the battlefield, and the rest you put on the bottom of your library. So the idea with a Warp World deck is you put out a bunch of guys who make tokens or, or a bunch of small creatures, and then you get up to your 8-mana so, you can cast Warp World, and then you cast it, and then you turn up like uh, Emrakul or uh, or Avengers Endicar. Avengers Endicar is great with Warp World, because Land's under Battlefield too, and the way the rules work is that you get to trigger both things um, all the Landfall triggers. If you don't know what Avengers Endicar is, I should probably say this because I forget, I might not have new players listening. Avengers Endicar is a card from World Wake that's uh, from World Wake or Resident Draws. It doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> uh, it's a. Uh, it's a, When it enters the battlefield, you put as many zero-one one plant creature tokens onto the battlefield as you have lands, and whenever land enters the battlefield, you get to put a plus-one, plus-one counter on each plant creature you control. So if you put this in with Warp World, uh, the way it works is that you can stack the triggers any way you want, so you put the uh, you put the plus-one, plus-one triggers on first from all the lands entering in the battlefield, so however many lands you have entered the battlefield, that's how many triggers you put on. And then the very... And you put the uh, trigger for it entering the battlefield on the stack, and then when all resolves, is you'll first you'll get your let's say you have 15 lands into the battlefield off a of warp world, which is not you know it's a bit high but not impossible to have happen. Uh, then you get 15 plant creature tokens, and then each of them gets 15 plus one plus one counters, and all of a sudden you have 15, 15, 16 creatures on your side of the board, which can be very hard for an opponent to deal with, especially because in a Warp World deck you usually build it with just permanents, and their deck might have non-permanent cards in it that just go to the bottom of library and are wasted. And uh, I love Warp World, I love just uh, just the the weirdness of the deck, and cards that people probably wouldn't play with, but then... I put in the deck, and then I Warp World, and then people... uh, And the real fun part about Warp World is you never know what you're going to get. It's very random. But anyway, uh, you know what? I actually have talked a lot about Warp World, and that's kind of what the Johnny segment is going to be about. Uh, Johnny segment is about taking a look at weird cards, uh, offbeat interactions, uh, a little bit of rules tech, because that's important for Johnny players uh, to know how the rules work so you know how your combos work. Uh, Combos, deck ideas, uh, that sort of thing. And, uh, so I've talked about Warp World. Let me tell you a little bit about, um, my Warp World deck. So, it has a bunch of cards that have entered the Battlefield triggers, uh, because when you turn them up with Warp World, you get them. So, I have things like, uh, well, back when this was standard legal, it was also legal with, uh, Lorewind Morning Tide, but then, uh, that eventually rotated out. I had to mix it up a little bit. Uh, so I'll go ahead and give you the most recent variant, which had Avengers Endicar in it. Um, it had Birds of Paradise to make early mana. It had, uh... Uh, colony, Hard Expedition, and Harrow, so I can get uh, landfall triggers from things like. Uh, um, and also get more lands from things like Lotus Cobra. Lotus Cobra, very important in this deck. Uh, the Fetch Lands, very important in this deck. Um, it's not impossible to get a Warp World off on turn 3, though usually you want to wait a little bit longer. Um, if you just. Put in some some fetch lands and lotus cobras. You get you know three mana off each land that you play, and uh, it's not hard to get up to eight mana with that. It's also got things like uh, all the little Eldrazi uh, spawn token creators like Nest Invader and uh, and Amrakul's Hatcher. It's got those in there. It's got a nice little little ramp effect where you can play Nest Invader and then that gives you enough mana to play Koslitch Predator and that gives you enough mana to play Amrakul's Hatcher. Uh, so it's got those Lamenta Babies, which you can then also sacrifice if you want to get your Warp World to go off later, though usually you probably want to hang on to them, because every every little spawn token means one more card you get to turn up with, uh, with, with uh, Warp World. Um, so it's got those, and then, th- that's what I like to call the Rant part, and the token creators. Uh, earlier builds of the deck also had, uh... Also had Siege Gang Commanders, which is another thing you might consider putting in. I decided to switch it out for the, uh, Coslex Predator, just because I got the same amount of creatures, and the sacrifice ability usually didn't matter in this deck, but if you see yourself facing a lot of fast decks with small creatures, you know, might want to switch in the, the Siege Gang Commanders, despite their slightly higher, uh, mana requirement, because they require two red mana, whereas Coslex Predator just requires one. And, uh, I also, um, in certain builds, of the deck would have enchantments such as, uh, well, Fertile Ground before it got switched out. And then uh, I had, uh, for a little while, I had uh, Trace of Abundance, which is also nice. Uh, those are enchantments you put on your lands. They make more mana of uh, any color, and then you can use that to help wrap you up. Another card I liked in this deck back in the Lorewind build, which uh, um, isn't it now, Super Secret Tech is Soulbrite Flamekin. Uh, if you don't know what he does, he was in the, uh, the dual decks, uh, Jace versus He's one in a red for a 2-1 creature. He has, uh, for two generic mana, he's an elemental shaman. Uh, for two of any mana, you can give target creature trample until end of turn. Which is, you know, it's nifty if you have your big, uh, in Avengers car and you just want to get through. But that's not really why he's in here, because he's really in here, if this is the third time this ability has resolved this turn, you may add eight red mana to your mana pool. And the great thing about that is, he is a great way to get you from six mana, which is very often a stalling point with this deck. If you only get three lands in your opening hand and you don't draw another land, usually you end up with six mana available to you. And this guy will ramp you right from six to eight mana, which uh, and he also will color fix you. You don't need the three red if you don't get it, and uh, then you can Gas Warp World with him. So I I really liked him in the deck, um, even though he's not necessarily a good card, but he worked well. And, uh, yeah, so he's good. I also have things like Elvish Arch Druid and, uh, and uh, oh, what's the card name? I can't think of it right now. <laughs> uh, Mold Drifter was great in it when it was legal. Uh, not anymore, sadly. Well, I mean, the whole deck's not standard legal anymore, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, what I like to do. So what the the next part of the deck is then to cast Warp World and have it resolve, and then you get out your. What I like to call your gas cards the cards you really want to have out. And you can pretty much put anything in there. Any card that has a big effect, you throw it in there. It's it's going to be great. Throw in the Eldrazi Titans. They're wonderful. Now you're not casting them, so you don't get like your extra turn off of Emrakul, but you do get a fifteen fifteen. Can't be the target of uh, spells that are colored. Uh, guy who's pretty hard to deal with. Uh, like I said before, Avengers Zendikar, great, great, great in this deck. Can't recommend him enough. Uh, even though he can be kind of pricey, definitely worth it in this deck. Um, I also like to put in, uh, let's see, uh, Rampa- Rampaging Baloths are great because, like I said, it triggers off each landfall, so you get a bunch of beasts. Uh Let's see, who else do I like in this deck? Oh, of course, of course. How could I forget? If I had more of these, there'd be more in this deck. But the very absolute star of this deck, which is Obnixilus the Fallen. Uh, Obnixilus the Fallen, he's a black legendary demon. Doesn't matter what he costs, because you're never going to hard cast him. But his ability is great. Uh, whenever a landers the battlefield, uh, you may have target opponent lose 3 life. If you do, put 3 plus 1 plus 1 counters on uh, Obnixilus the Fallen. Yeah, so you can pretty much win if you turn up an Omnixless in a, on a warp world, uh, and when I say pretty much, I mean almost guaranteed. You only have to really get three or four lands up on a warp world to to make it worth it, and uh, if you don't kill him outright, well, you've suddenly got a huge guy uh, who they have suddenly have to deal with. So uh, Omnixless list fallen, great, great in this deck. Um, there's another build of this deck that I don't personally haven't done. That instead of using all these big creatures, just use a, instead of having the ramp and the big creatures, just use a bunch of small creatures in the form of allies. Because if you turn up allies on the deck, uh, on the warp world, again all their triggers are going to trigger simultaneously, and you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. So uh, that's my that's my Johnny segment of the day. It talked about my warp world deck, that is probably my favorite deck that I've built in a long time. And uh, with that being said, I'm going to move on to Spike. Baby, my ears now Spike is a blonde vampire from Vahoe Vampire Slayer. No, 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 no. I, I did it again. <laughs> All right, I promise that's the last time. Alright, so Spike. What is a Spike? Well, Spike is the tournament player. Spike is in it to win it. Spike doesn't care who he has to step on, who he has to uh, to crush the streams, as long as he ends up on top and he ends up with the trophy in his hand. Alright, that's maybe a bit unfair to most Spikes out there, but Spikes do get the most fun out of a game when they're winning. If they're not winning, they're not having fun. That's pretty much the end of story. And uh spikes are the ones who like to look at the game, find out how all the pieces work, find out what cards are best in what situation, build a deck that's like absolutely tuned to the metagame, like to read articles and, and uh post on forums and and uh really just sort of sit down with their deck and test it over and over again and get it so it's working just right. They're the ones who want to be the best they can be at the game and uh most of all they want to show their skill off, and that's, that's really what's important spikes. If they were just doing this just to be better, nah, I don't think there would be as... I don't think that really makes them spike. They really want to show off their skill. So, uh, that's what a spike is, and I'm not very much of a spike, to be honest, so this segment's gonna be a bit weird for me. Now, I thought I'd cover tournament news, though, honestly, if you care about tournament news, there are much better podcasts out there you can turn to. Uh, UNTG Taps is a great one if you're into that sort of thing. There's also Top 8 Magic, um... So, you know, go check those out. They're all on MTGCast. I'm not going to talk about that here so much. But what I am going to talk about here is sort of uh, bring the spike down to the new player. Maybe one who hasn't been playing for so long. Uh, maybe listens to tournament reports every once in a while and is like, I, I don't understand what they're talking about. What is this deck? Why is this, why is this card good? How does this deck work? Uh, so what I'm going to do here, one of my regular segments, is going to be I'm going to take a deck... That has, uh, you know, that's that's doing good. That's that you hear people talking about something like, uh, like take for example the deck that's uh, has been winning a lot of tournaments recently, Off the Red. I'm going to take it. I'm going to break it down, uh, explain how it works, why it's good, why people are playing it, what you can do against it. Um, I'm not going to go too much into uh, sort of. Comparing decks against each other, or sideboard tactics, because that's not really what I'm good at, and there are much better resources for that. But I'm just going to sort of explain, uh, so that when somebody says, like, oh, I play Koldatha Red, or oh, I play Kago, uh, you know what they're talking about. Um, So this is sort of like a spike for dummies. (laughs) I guess, I don't know. And the dummy here is me. Anyway, so, we're going to take a look at Koldatha Red, like I mentioned before. So, Koldatha Red is a... or also known as Kuldatha Rebirth or Kuldatha or lots of different names for it, um, is named after the central card which is called Kuldatha Rebirth uh, Kuldatha Rebirth if you don't know is a uh, red card from uh, Mirrodin Besieged or I'm sorry from Scars of Mirrodin. Uh, it costs one red is sorcery that says an additional cost to as an additional cost to cast Kuldatha Rebirth sacrifice an artifact put 3 1 1 red goblin creature tokens on the battlefield now you might be thinking to yourself well, that kind of sounds kind of crappy. I mean you guys give up a re- uh you gotta give up an artifact uh you get three one one goblin creatures that's great what are they gonna do? They're gonna die to the next uh next guy who who talks and you block them with Well, let me get this straight. You're not gonna be blocking with these goblins. Uh, ever <laughs> this deck is all about attacking, 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 and attacking to let you know how much attacking you're going to be doing uh in the average sort of build of this deck uh you're talking about something like eighty percent of your cards costing one mana uh you're gonna put out a bunch of cheap creatures like Memnites, which cost zero uh and signal pest, which costs one which are, uh, you know, perfect to sacrifice to uh, Koldoth Rebirth on turn one. You get a bunch of 1-1 one red one one red goblin creatures out. Uh, you're going to be playing cards like Contested Warzone, which you can use to pump up your attacking goblins. You're going to be playing Goblin Bushwhacker, which can give your goblins haste to make them attack faster. Goblin Chieftain would make your goblins bigger and give them haste. Goblin Guide, which is another one of those cards that to a new player you may think, but why do I want to give my opponent a land card? Trust me, he's not going to get a chance to play it. Goblin Guide is great. Goblin War Driver gives your other goblins uh, the power they need to attack. Lightning Bolt, of course, any deck that plays red, you're probably going to want to be playing Lightning Bolt in it, so that goes without saying. Uh, cards like Devastating Summons, which are nice sort of tech. Um, if, you, if the game does end up going a little bit longer than you expect you and you just need that that little bit of push to go over the edge well you you can play devastating summons dump all your lands that you don't really need and uh and uh, yeah just go to town um, this deck has a very very low mana curve um and uh, very few lands to go with it. Uh, You basically want to play a small amount of mountains, teetering peaks. They do enter the battlefield tapped, which is not great in this deck, but the plus two, plus zero they give your creatures can can really be great. Uh, Cards like Scalding Tarn, because fetch lands are good. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about fetch lands. Um, You might be thinking to yourself, well, why would I want to play a fetch land? I have to pay a life to go get a land. Uh, You do. Uh but let me tell you, one life is not that horrible and the benefits it gives you are great. Uh you get to go get uh lands of one or two types from your deck, which already you're doing some color fixing, but you might even want to play in this deck like The Red it doesn't have a second color, um, but you still want to play with you know at least four fetch lands because every fetch land you play it's like you have that many cards less in your deck. So you're not really playing... If you play four fetch lands, you're not really playing with a 60-card deck. You're playing with a 56-card 50, deck. Um, if you play with eight, you're playing with a 52-card deck. And the smaller your deck is, the faster you're going to get to the cards you really want to get to, and you're also going to be hitting your land drops. So fetch lands are pretty much good in any deck you want to build, um, which is also why they're so expensive. <laughs> um, so this deck is great. Now I'm going to tell you this, pretty much the only tactic to this deck is play your cards and attack. Play your cards and attack, play your cards, attack, your bow's dead. Uh, the thing that can stymie this deck is it runs out of gas really, really fast. If you, if your opponent's still alive on turn three, turn four, you're going to have a hard time winning the game just because your opponent's going to be getting out bigger creatures, they're going to be having cards with evasion, they're going to be, uh, setting up defenses and setting up their own attackers. Um, so if you don't get your opponent dead in the first couple of turns, you're in bad shape, which is what the sideboard also allows for. It includes things like, uh, like uh, Mark of Mutiny. Uh, if you don't know why Mark of Mutiny is in this deck, it's basically... Mark of Mutiny is the anti-Primeval Titan tech. Uh, you want to throw Mark of Mutiny down on whatever big guy he your opponent just played, and then uh, hit him with it. And uh, generally speaking, yes, it puts a plus one plus one counter on it, but it's not going to really matter so much because your goal is to play it uh, when you're about to win. Uh, Mark of Mutiny is also great, like I said. lets you steal your opponent's Primeval Titan. Primeval Titan, a big, uh, big player in decks, uh, in pretty much any deck that plays green. And, uh, that lets you go fetch up some lands. And, uh, you can put in some Teetering Peaks, for example. Those are great because you get to put plus two plus two, uh, plus two plus zero twice on your, uh, on your thing that you just stole from him, and uh, that's pretty much going to guarantee you a victory, because now you have five more power in addition to whatever it already had, and you've already worn him down with your early hits, so uh, that's a good sideboard if you're going up against uh, sort of the, uh, well, anything that plays probably will Titan, or, or, you know, your blue control deck that maybe uh, counters some of your early spells but gets a Sphinx out later, well, now you can hit him with a Sphinx. Uh, And when I say him, of course, I mean him or her, not all magic players are men. Mr. Person who named their podcast The Men of Magic, which I refuse to listen to on that respect. But anyway, I'm sure it's a good podcast, I just don't like the name. <laughs> uh, as you can tell, I'm kind of rambling now, which means I've come to the end of my Spike segment. Um, I hope I wasn't too far off on how the deck works. Again, I'm not a big tournament player. I like to follow them, but I don't really play in them very often, so if anything I said here is just blatantly wrong, please feel free to let me know. And this is a cue for me to let you know how you can get in touch with me. See you. All right, there's a number of different ways to get in touch with me. You can follow me on Twitter. My name is Tozus. T-O-S-U-S. Very easy to remember, very short. Makes the retweeting easier. Um, you can also go to my blog page, which really looks terrible right now, so I really wouldn't if I were you, at daregeek.com. Uh, good place to download the episodes and, and uh, take a look at my uh, earlier podcast as well as my video podcast for this show. I can also be found on NTGCast if you want to download my episodes there. Um, you can also reach me by email, which is probably the best way by going to timmyjohnnyspike.com, uh, at gmail.com. Don't go to timmyjohnnyspike.com. I don't think there's anything there. Although somebody wants to donate the domain to me, I wouldn't say no. Uh, you can also find me on the Avant Card Show forum. Uh, Avant Card Show is a great podcast. You should go listen to it. Also, you should listen to The Pool, which is an, also a great podcast. Uh, don't ask me which one's better because that'd be like choosing between my kids, which I don't have any of. That'd be like making me choose between my cats, though, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so I just wanted to give them a quick shout out because they're two great podcasts and uh, the more... If you like what you hear here, you'll probably like them because they also sort of take things from a a more casual uh, perspective. Um, So they're great for new players, too. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. So, again, uh, TimmyJohnnySpike at gmail.com. You can write me there. You can follow me on Twitter, Tosis. You can go to my uh, webpage at daregeek.com and leave a comment there or on the Cast side. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, If anything I said is blatantly wrong, Feel free to write me if you have any cool combos or cool decks that you'd like to share. If you have any cool moments that have happened to you, I'd love to hear those. Um, If you uh, have any decks you'd like to have a deconstruction on, see how they work, uh, or if you think the whole idea is stupid, please also let me know. I welcome any and all feedback, and uh, I hope you enjoy what you listen to. All right. Thank you very much for listening. This has been Tozis for the Timmy Johnny Spike Podcast. Thin, and it's uh where I um review iP- iPhone and iPod and I- iPad t- uh uh, uh and <laughs> that cut that part out.